It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Hello and welcome to the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I'm Tom Watt and just like in the real world, this is going to be the first time I think I've hosted anything in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, today I'm virtually dotting around Scotland to pick the brains of some of the great and good on the terraces. First of all, we're going to speak to Mr. Craig Anderson. Welcome Craig, how are things? I, I'm good Tom, how are you? Very good, thank you. Very good. I, I can't I can't do this seriously now since since Craig Telfer broke the fourth wall and pointed out that we, we do our, our introductions before we start and then just repeat them on on thing. But it, it seems like it has to be <laughs> it's like it's like this is my voice, this is what I sound like and let's be polite about it. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, I have been I have been good. I've uh, I've been in the house all day and I'm I'm gonna go out a wee walk when when we're done here. Maybe we should do that. We should have like just the the sort of like Hollyoaks after dark, where you had uh, <laughs> we just we we give Patreon subscribers the first ten minutes where we just chat about whatever it is that we've done during the day and chat chat openly and freely about what we really think. Anyway, or maybe not. Anyway, uh, you took in a couple of games this weekend, so I think we'll start off um, up in Dingwall with. Ross County nil, Rangers four. A third consecutive four nil for Rangers, which I think. Um, are we calling it? We calling the league now? Well, yeah. As we recorded, the the Celtic game is not long finished, and they've they've dropped. They've fallen further behind. Thirteen points is massive. It's it's now at the point now. I think it's the first. No, no, no. It's not strictly true. If Celtic won all their games, they would still still be champions. I think, but. I I am quite happy to see Rangers will win the league this year, and I think they'll win it by ten points at least. Like what's going on at Celtic doesn't look like something that's going to be rectified anytime soon. I'm not expecting Lennon to to leave now, even after the, you know he's had he's had a, a defeat and a draw since they kind of backed him strongly last weekend. 
I expect him to. It won't. It won't last out the season, but I expect him still to be there for a bit. Rangers look kind of impenetrable at the moment. It's another game. Um, well, they've not been. They didn't play their best. I don't think they were. They were great until probably at the hour mark in this game. Ross County were were, were very in it. Um, reminding me to some extent of um, of the game they came and played at Rugby Park, where I, where I actually thought like Rangers they, they took the lead, but then they, they were a bit sloppy, a bit poor at times, and, and did kind of create openings. But in that game, that kind of continued right up to ninety minutes. They didn't get this, the second goal at any point, and, and Kelly did look like scoring in this game. Obviously, they, they did eventually add to the lead, and then at that point, the, the heads go down a bit for Ross County, and, and they, they kind of cut. Collapse a bit strong, but they they conceded goals that they shouldn't have conceded, and Rangers have been doing that to everyone all season. You look at that. This is, there's some fixtures. You look at the fixture list, and you think, well, maybe they'll drop points here. Ross County away isn't really one of them. How many more fixtures like that actually are there for them in the season? And that's when you start thinking, barring some disastrous collapse um, or, or something, you know, Stephen Gerrard getting a, a job in England, which I, I suspect he wouldn't take it at the moment because this is, this is p- potentially like a kind of historic moment in his career. And, and you know, and, and them replacing him with some some absolute duds, like they, they, like doing the, the Neil Lennon approach by appointing Ali McCoyst again or something like that. Um, I don't I don't see it happening. So so I think we, we talked, uh, I talked with Craig Fowler about it was when Celtic beat Dundee United 1-0. They obviously scored two. Was it two? Did that finish 2-0? I can't remember. They scored late on anyway and um, to, to win that game. And I'd said at the time, I thought like Rangers were a, had a much better team than Celtic. But I, at the time, I was wondering if Celtic would still win the league just by kind of knowing how to win. Well, well, they've completely forgotten how to win and, and Rangers seem to have forgotten how to lose. So... I mean, they're still not. It's obviously quite complicated to try and um, describe it, but they've not lost a game this season, with the exception of the game which we played this season, which was actually the last season's game against uh, Leverkusen. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's quite a complicated but but they won't play many teams of Leverkusen's quality, certainly not in the Scottish Premiership. Um, so possibly not even in the Europa League for a while, to be honest. Uh, and even when they did play the team that was somewhat close to that quality in Benfica, they should have really won both games. I think they're a very, very good team at the moment. And I think we saw that. Um, even when they're not playing well, they, they create high quality chances and they score four goals. Yeah. I mean, just to, to, to focus on one one player in particular, I mean, they, they were able to make changes. They didn't hold, but completely ring the changes, but, you know, they could uh, rest. Arfield bring, brought him in the last half hour. Barisic was rested. And they've been some of their better performers, you know, in a, in a team of very good performers recently, they've been some of their stronger performers. So able to rotate the squad and the, the, the players that came in were, were very good. Uh, but I mean, he, he's been at Rangers for a, a long time and we know what you can do. And everyone who has even the slightest inkling of what you can do has them in their fantasy team, if not their captain. Um, but James Tavernier, what season? I mean, for, yeah. how, how, he seems to have come on even further this season and it's yes there's always things about he's better going forward and yes he gets a lot of uh, of goals from uh, from penalties and free kicks and the like but what are we 15 16 games into the league season um and European games and cup games as well he, 16 goals and 11 assists from right back regardless of what the focus of your right back is is 
pretty remarkable this early I think on. I've seen a, a bit of discussion online. Um, friend of the show and um, podcaster Ewan Taylor, I saw on Twitter saying it was the best. He's had the best season of any Rangers player since he started watching the club, which I think is given some of the quality Rangers have had, some of the seasons Rangers have had, they've won trebles and stuff like that. Of course, they could they could still win a treble this year. Um, is is quite a, a quite a bold statement, but he has been very good. And I saw someone else saying um, on on Pine Bovril it was that they thought it was potentially the best individual Rangers season since Barry Ferguson's one where he, he scored about 20-odd goals. Um, that was a treble-winning season, um, I'm sure. They've, they've just been... He's just been fantastic. Um, I think the difference, you know, and, and I, I still think put him in some other teams and he would he would look a bit shaky defensively, but he's part of a really good unit. He's got two rock-solid centre-halves next to him and also whatever shape Rangers play, whichever personnel Rangers play, the central midfield help out so they know that when Tavernier is up the park someone's it's usually Ryan Jack in the bigger games is stepping into that position um, to you know essentially be a right back the same type of role Ryan Jack plays, plays for Scotland and um, when, when he's when he's covering for Stephen O'Donnell a, a obviously much inferior player to James Tavernier um, the yeah so it's just you see him thriving in a system and I think Gerard's identified that we've got two absolute gold, gold fullbacks here that can deliver crosses, can score goals, can do a lot. So let's build a system that gets the most out of these players. And that's what you see there. And that compared compared to the shambles that he used to be in, he, he gets exposed. If you put if you leave Tavernier one on one, he'll get exposed. People will beat him, people will beat him in the air, all of these things. But they're not leaving him exposed. They're letting him do what he's good at. And defensively it's part of a system he's not bad so you're starting to see just an exceptional season for him um, he's far from the only one but I think you barring a collapse again you can almost kind of give him the, the player of the year award right now yeah I mean I, I was I started looking back on the the. I mean, he's definitely going to have in all competitions he's definitely going to have 20 for the season you'd imagine you wouldn't be at all surprised if it's 20 goals and 20 assists Um I started looking back in through uh, you know, the Scottish years for for any primarily a defender, not not certainly nominally a defender for anyone with anything like that as a goal record, and gave up and started looking to European uh, tournaments as well, and, and gave up on that as well. So, um, but yeah, certainly I think uh, uh, we can almost call it. Um, point about um, the, the squad rotation I thought it was interesting because I think it suggests that, that Gerard still wants to go to Poland and win in midweek because obviously if they win they win the group, the group which yeah. is, a, is a, it could be a, I mean you never know because some of the some of the teams that finish runner up in these groups can still be um, you know still be good <laughs> but uh, um, there's a there's an incentive there for them to go and do that and I think he'll want he'll want to essentially not lose a game um, he's barely lost a game in Europe since he took over that's that's kind of the, the target for them and so I think it's, it's it's showing the squad depth that we've talked about before there are some players that there's some positions that you'd still have question marks about I think if Barisic or Tavernier were out for the season what what's behind them is nowhere near the quality I think Basil's looked alright and presumably they'll be looking at Patterson at, at right back definitely aren't the same but in most other positions to be honest they've got basically a direct replacement and and you're seeing that in the squad depth the number of players have used this season 
it, it bodes very well for them going forward, I think. It's not short term. It's quite a young team as well. Not not everyone's young, but there's there's enough youth in it to kind of look at two, three, four years of, of basically the same group. Yep, absolutely. So just um so just just on, on Ross County slightly, uh to, to sort of wrap this game up. Should Ross County be concerned that should should they be pleased that they actually They've they obviously played very well last weekend and, and beat Celtic. They, for the best part of an hour, were certainly in the game, had their chances, had two very good chances. Should they be pleased that they're playing better um, and they're, they don't seem to be doing the daft things they were a month ago or a bit worried that they obviously are playing better but they're getting turned over still and they're now, given the, the teams around about them, are picking up a bit of form. Should they be concerned? I think they should be in the sense that I think they've got um, they've got good players. They've got good kind of um, they're they're passing the ball about well and stuff like that. But they're not creating enough. You, you saw last weekend against Celtic, they, they didn't create a lot of chances with it. Now they were brave on the ball. When you're one 0 up, being able to do that is great because I think if they'd gone one 0 up in this game, it would have been the same thing. They'd have been able to take on, you know, keep the ball much better than a lot of teams would against Rangers, but. Passing the ball in front of them, Rangers aren't bothered about. You see them let teams do it in Europe all the time. What what Rangers, what they didn't have was any way, they, they did create a couple of chances, there wasn't any way to consistently hurt Rangers. And so that that's a worry because you need to go ahead in games before you can really impose that that type of play. The, you, I saw them against Kelly playing against 10 men and even against 10 men, they, they didn't create nearly enough. The, the best chances they had were long range and things like that. Um, and, and from set pieces, that that's got to be the concern. I would say um, it's very hard to judge them because of that. Because you you can see what they're trying to do. You can see, unlike a lot of other teams in the league, there's a there's a plan there. There's an idea. There's this is what we're trying to do. But having a plan and a plan is better than no plan. But if the plan's not a good plan, then <laughs> is it really? I mean, like compare it to Jim Goodwin. I don't think Jim Goodwin has a plan. It's a minute. I don't really think how Hamilton Aki's have a plan. But these teams still get points and win games. So does it matter? <laughs> and the top of the league, it certainly does. But at the bottom, getting, getting the wins is what what really counts. Absolutely, absolutely. So we will cross uh, to back a day to the um, Hamilton's one 0 win over Kilmarnock. Ross Callahan's penalty gave Hamilton all the points in a fairly entertaining looking, but quite scrappy game. Uh, all sorts of talking points in this one, but I think first of all, very tough week for for, for Kilmarnock. Obviously, forced to to forfeit the match with Motherwell. Um, at those, the way that those results have been not the way those results have gone the way those results have been given have really kind of bunched things up they've, they've completely changed the complexion of the league table uh, Kelly have also had a f- injuries to, to key men this week um, and, a, and another setback yesterday I think almost your thoughts from a Kilmarnock perspective on the week that was yeah so so I think this this was something I think always was like I thought was maybe a, an outside chance to happen with these, uh, these games being awarded but I thought the fact that the clubs voted kind of what a month ago to to say it's not an automatic forfeit we're, 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 I think only four clubs voted for that suggested there's not really a lot of, there wasn't really a lot of will from the clubs for this to be the, the route that things went even in the case where a team has been found to be at fault 
and and therefore I'd kind of thought right, well maybe we'll get a fine maybe there'll be some punishment but we'll probably get to play this game which ultimately is I think what, what everyone really wants and that's what's confused me clearly there has been an issue at Kelly now in the sense that it does appear that the only thing that we were kind of guilty of was having one metre social distancing and not two while we were in a hotel, which obviously if you or I, went, we couldn't do it in Glasgow right now, but if you or I went to a, a restaurant tomorrow or when, when they open up, that's the distance we would be. But perhaps the, the SPFL rules have not reflected that. They're still two metres and the club should surely know that unless the SPFL um, rules are vague in which case I would have expected the lawyer to kind of drive a hole through that at the, the hearing, which doesn't seem to have been the case. So from that respect, I think Kelly have to have a long, hard look at what's gone wrong and why that's happened. But having said that, I think the, the punishment is incredibly harsh and it's probably not just harsh on us, it's harsh on completely unaffected clubs. It's almost like by awarding Mullerwell those six points, by awarding Hamilton the three points that they got against St Mirren as well, we talked about Ross County being in a relegation battle. Well, they, it's nothing to do with them, but they've ended up with Hamilton closing in on them. And apart from anything, even if you wanted the harshest possible punishment on Kelly and St Mirren, it would, almost be, it would be worse for Kelly, it would be worse for St Mirren, but it would almost be fairer to dock Kelly and St Mirren three points for each mm-hmm. game, but still play it. And then it's like, well, if you, if you win it, yeah. you're getting nothing. But it, it, feels, like, it feels like from especially at the bottom of the league, it, it can make a huge difference to, and it could affect teams that it's really nothing to do with. And for me, it comes back... And, and the other thing for me is that, that Kelly and St Mirren got an identical punishment. I think uh, Joel touched on this when they talked about it on Thursday. Kelly and St Mirren got an identical punishment, but it was very clear from the judgment, from the charges and everything, that St Mirren's crime as such was much... They, they did much more wrong. And so it's kind of like, well, it's kind of an in for a penny, in for a pound thing. It's like, well, if we're not social distancing, we might as well, and, and you're going to get found out for that. You might as well not do anything. Yeah. You might as well not take any precautions because as soon as something goes wrong, um, that's what's going to happen. And then it does seem it's obviously a very reactive punishment in the sense that it's not, are you following the protocols properly? That's not being checked. It's basically, have you had a game called off? Right now we're going to investigate you mm. rather than we've seen... Um, Celtic and Dundee United taking team photos at training grounds. Mullerwell taking a team photo before the game, as they as they have done most games. These are also unnecessary gatherings of players, but because those teams don't get a game called off, that doesn't it, it doesn't sit well with me. It's like when they give a two match ban to a player for diving if the ref gives the penalty. But <laughs> it's only a yellow card yeah. if they get caught. It's kind of it's that kind of weird yeah. thing. But they, there, there almost needs to be, it, almost like it needs to be reported for it to be any kind of yeah. crime in, in the first place. I think, and I think there is a very difficult precedent set potentially that I mean, the, there was talk whether it was it, the, the talk of the weekend was a Dundee United potentially having nine players out and that being, and around about the same time that came out with the the team photo. It seems like the crime would have been the the crime was the un is, is being unable to fulfill the fixture yeah. rather than breaching the laws, whatever the That's laws like, may be. You could have a great big Dundee United squad party, um, and there will be photos that go around. You know, yes, they're, they're they're breaking protocol rules, but as long as nobody gets COVID and they can field a squad, then 
you're not going to get dock points for it, or, you're, or the, games are not going to be awarded. The other, the other thing that I get, I think, gets me is I, I just, I just don't understand the the motivation, I guess, from the SPFL in this case, or, or, or the tribunal on their behalf, or whatever it is. It's, it's not most leagues around the world are not doing this. Even in the Champions League, which is quite more time constrained for the group stages, even if a team gets a game called off, they reschedule it, and that will screw up domestic schedules and stuff. But they're still doing it. There's plenty of time to play the game, so the, the argument that it's in a that it is a tight schedule this year, but there, every single European midweek is available. We've had I think five midweeks since the SPFL launched an investigation where this game could have been played if it had wanted to. And I think you, you can draw a distinction between what happened in the summer where they, they made unpopular decisions, the SPFL, but those were some decision-making was necessary on their part because either they had to null and void the season, which pisses off you know, Dundee United, Celtic, um, uh, Wraith Rovers and um, Cove, or you do what they did, which is um, end the season early, which pisses off a different set of teams, or you'd reconstruct but whatever you do, there are going to be losers. Mm. In this case, that's that doesn't apply. I mean, you've got winners. You've got Motherwell and Hamilton as winners, and Kelly, um, Kelly and Samirin as losers here. But if they did nothing, if they just said, "Right, here's a fine, here's whatever, don't do it again," not not a soul would have complained. And it, it comes down to what is the role of SPFL supposed to be? Because I think of them as being the kind of arbiters, the people that are the kind of the neutral party when there's a dispute almost, when there's a disagreement. And it's like by just choosing to essentially prove a point, I think, it, it doesn't sit particularly well with me. Um, and and I, I think and hope people would trust it. And, and I have talked about this issue before anything even happened with Kelly, that I would be saying the same thing if it wasn't my team affected. <laughs> I am still, even though the talk, talk of the game we're going to go on about, it's probably not going to make a big difference to Kelly. I, I still don't think, you know, we're, we're going to necessarily get relegated. We're probably sitting in the middle of the table. It's probably not going to impact us hugely. But it's taken away from, from a lot of people. Fans are being deprived of an extra chance to watch their team this season. Clubs are losing out on income from those games. Um, every kind of... The players are, you know, one one less game to play. Presumably some of the Motherwell players will be on, like, appearance-based bonuses that, that they won't get now. Um, so it's just like... There doesn't seem to be really any benefit apart from kind of acting Making the big man, do you know what I mean? Like saying, yeah. proving a point, saying, oh, you're the, don't do it again. But I don't think teams are, it's like this, don't do it again. I don't think teams are going out to, to get games called off in the first place. So I thought it was interesting to kind of see kind of Jack Ross coming out quite strongly against it in the week. I think not probably not every ant manager was asked about it with the exception of kind of Stephen Robinson and, and, and Brian Rice who can obviously sneak an answer because they got the points and they'll <laughs> move on. I think most managers, if you ask them, wouldn't be in favour of that. And so it just feels like, who are you doing this for? Yeah. Are they doing it for the Scottish government? I think that ship's sailed because I don't think the Scottish government give a fuck. Yeah. So why, are you, why are you doing that is the, the thing for me. As I say... Kelly have to have a look um, at our protocols and what we've been doing. Someone has made an arse of something somewhere, clearly. Mm, St Mirren even more so. So there are problems there. But it does, it does just feel, from a, from a football fan point of view, it's like unpalatable because you're saying, well, you're denying teams a chance to, to play a game on the park when there's plenty of time to do it. Yeah. I, I, and I think the the there, there's several layers to it. I think the, the one of the points you raised, the 
the the benefit to teams for um, for you know it, it's nothing it, it's taken completely out of their own hands. But effectively, you know, this is this is nothing against Motherwell, but Motherwell have been handed six points for games that they didn't play. Yes, they were inconvenienced, but you know, for for whatever reasons, there are eleven teams in the league at the moment that would bite your hand off for two consecutive wins yeah. uh, at the moment. Uh, and to change the league complexion like that at the, you know, in the middle and at the bottom, it, it, and if that's what we're going to do from now on, uh, there's entire, it's entirely possible that before things go back to some form of normality, we're going to have more instances like this, I would, I would expect especially another, in the lower leagues. I would expect another game to get called off um, before the end of the season because yeah. even... Even if a this is what I think. Even if a club was doing everything correct, they could have an outbreak. There, there could be a number of things. If they all live in the town where they they play, their kids could go to the same school, and all you know, there could be an outbreak because of that. They could all be asked to self isolate because of that. We've okay, part, that, that's, that's a different. Their jobs or or you know. That's other a, other staff members who are not full time or whatever it might be. That's a different story. The point is, and okay, the, the SPFL will say, well, that, that's not mm. the club's protocols. But the, pro- the point is, I think if you went looking, and that's what they, it seems like that's what they were doing, they were, they were looking for something to hit clubs with, then if you go looking at every club, you'll find something. As I said, you won't have to look very far at Motherwell, Hibs, sorry, Motherwell, Celtic or Dundee United straight away. But if you go looking at any club and, and subject them to an investigation, you're going to find something. And I found the, the tone of the... Um, kind of document that the SPFL release, whoever was kind of doing it, was, was quite, like, petty and it seemed like quite snide and stuff like mm. that. Like, compared to the Lord, the Lord, like, the judgment in the hearts thing, which was very professionally written and all that, the um, the court one, this was like, was like making the, oh, any school child would know the mm. social distancing is two metres was a phrase in it. And it's like, well, A, school children don't know that because they're not being asked to social distance at school. <laughs> They don't do it after school either, but but the main point is, well, that's not strictly the case because if they're in a restaurant, it's not two meters, so it's a it's a stupid point to make, and it's really kind of childish. And I think Joel mentioned the the point that they'd com- referred to some rugby tournament as a precedent, yeah, the because, tests, yeah. But Neil, Neil Neil Doncaster like two weeks ago um, was making the point about the English leagues letting fans in and saying, oh, well, they're doing this in England, why can't they do it here? But then this weekend, a game gets called off for a, an outbreak in England, and that just gets rescheduled. So mm. it's very, it's very like you can't pick and choose your arguments and pick and choose what league you compare themselves to. Yeah. As I say, it's I, I suspect it won't affect Kelly hugely come the end of the season, but it could have an impact on on quite a lot in the league. Yeah. Very much so, but there was also a game <laughs> involved. I wish there wasn't, but yes, there was. <laughs> um, Hamilton winning 1-0. Um, Kelly, I think, had the, the most of play uh, up to and including, uh, up to and just after Clever Dicamona's red card. I think fairly justified red card. He, oh yeah, it was, it was definitely red. Too, too unhappy with the decision. Well, you know, he knew he'd been banged to rights, but... Kelly are still quite a good team with 10 men, as they've proved in recent weeks, um, uh, and still had most of the, the, um, most of the game, um, certainly for the first half. Hamilton came back in the second half, were a little bit more impressive. They win a penalty, and something I wanted to uh, touch on in a little second, they win a penalty, Ross Callahan uh, scores the penalty, and they, they sort of hold off. 
and Hamilton, perversely, in complete contrast to, to Kamarnik, have had a very, very good uh, week. Um, yeah, the, I think they were, they're on 14 points, six points in a couple of days, they're off the bottom. I mean, they've almost doubled their points total in their last four matches. So, very good for them. So, just first of all, your your thoughts on the match? Yeah, I thought it's very hard to judge Kelly at the moment if we're good or not because we keep getting players sent off. So it's like, yeah, I, I, like I was I was watching the game yesterday and thinking, Do you know what, Nicky Kabamba's been on on fairly poor form and of late. But then I'm like, well, to be fair, to him, he's been having to play left wing in a four four one, like pretty much every single game. It feels like so. Of course, he is. Um, it, it's it's something that you can look at individual things. I, I still think the, the Findlay one, um, we were unsuccessful in the appeal, obviously, but that, that to me probably wasn't a red card. But it's a mistake that he makes. Dick and Mona, it's just stupid. Look at um, red cards earlier in the season. Millen and um, Brophy both got sent off for really kind of stupid lunges as well. There's something that, there's something up with discipline, and every single one of those red cards that the, with the exception of the Finlay one, was in a stupid area of the park. It wasn't, you know, it's not like in the, it doesn't, it's not a dangerous part of the pitch. It's like Dickamona. There's about five players behind him. He doesn't need to be lunging in like that, even if he lets it slide. It doesn't matter, and it's just let, well, letting the manager down. But at the same time, there has to be something from the manager that you know are they not being disciplined properly when they do things like that which cost the team just because we we won those two previous games doesn't make the the crime of getting sent off in the first half any less for the player um and maybe i'm talking talking about punishment fitting the crime before it's like just because we won the game doesn't mean everything was perfect so with those previous ones and, and it's came back to bite is there because with 11 men we, we looked slightly better than Hamlet, not tons better with ten men for for much of the time up to the penalty, we we probably still had more of the game than them. Um, it probably helps when Hamilton are a team that, that are okay to play against with ten men because they're, they're they try and play long ball. They're quite direct. Um, they were they're not always like that, but this at the moment they're they're being particularly direct, and it doesn't matter really how many players are on the park as long as you've got enough to head all the ball away, which is what we were doing. <laughs> um, but fundamentally, we didn't create high quality chances, and we've not really been creating high quality chances all season. Um, a lot of, we've scored a lot of good goals, um, but it's been either crosses into the box or it's been you know individual pieces of brilliance, um, particularly from Burke, um, who, who was obviously missing. And that's probably been my biggest thing. It's just there's just a player missing from the squad. I think it's just a, a creative midfielder who's missing from the squad, and I've been saying it all along. And Alex Dyer must know that, but we've had a year and we've not really ever signed one. Mm-hmm. So, we, yeah, in fact, we've had 18 months since we last had a, since Greg Stewart left was the last creative player we had actually, which is a long time ago at this point, nearly two years ago since he left. Um, we, we scraped through the first half, the second half of that season. Malumbu could be that player, but he's not been fit. So so perhaps that's that's kind of what, what we've been relying on. But, Pretty much all our chances in that game yesterday were aiming Brophy kind of dropping the shoulder, getting a wee bit of space and having a, a shot from an unusual angle and it getting blocked. Um, at the same time, we were low on numbers. We didn't have a, a full bench. We had, I think, even some of the players on the bench weren't really fit to play. So there's that excuse to be made and it's very hard to judge the overall performances. But the next three games are um, Celtic away, 
Aberdeen at home, a game we literally never win, and uh, Dundee United away before Christmas. That that's a run of games you could conceivably lose all three of, um, and and find ourselves pretty close to the bottom. I just wanted to you to to, to doff your uh, referee's cap for a second on this as well because the Hamilton's penalty, um, seventy minutes in, um, ball hits Brandon Hanstrup's hand. It looked like his hand was. It was. It was his hand was to his chest. You can see why these are given. You can you see these things given regularly. Uh, I don't personally feel like I understand the handball rule at all. Not least when I watch games. And the, there was a a, a point um, previously in the game in the, in the same game when um, it looked like the, the ball hit Hodson's hand. Looked more of a penalty to me. Are these? It, can you kind of clarify? And, and there was one in the the um, Aberdeen St Mirren uh, game, the uh, Tommy Hoban, um, the, where the ball hit, hit his hand from what looked like no distance at all for him to be able to get get his hand out of the way. Uh, could you kind of talk through what is going on? Yeah, yeah. So, so I think I think I guess the, the difference between when we talk about handballs in Scotland and England is. We don't, we don't have VAR, thankfully, in this yeah. country. So sometimes when you get a handball decision not given here or given here, it's not because that's the rule, it's because the referee made a mistake. Yeah, yeah. I think it's what happened with um, the Lee Hodson one. The, the, the one that, that is a penalty for Killer. That should have been a penalty. Yeah. His hand's out from his body. The Hornstrup one is kind of... I haven't seen a really good angle to see exactly where it hits his hand and where his hand is in relation to his body. Every angle seemed to be like at a weird like junction, but it's definitely much less of a penalty. I think it's it goes in the kind of have seen them given thing. The the Hoban one, I initially thought that it probably is a penalty for the reason that his hand's out from his side, but I, I think a good point about the distance from the ball. But in terms of how the, the rule's supposed to work now, um, they, they took a perfectly workable handball rule, I think, where... There was a little bit of discretion from the referee as mm. to say, is this deliberate and think about it. And and as with so many things, because of VAR, they decided we have to absolutely make this defined perfectly and, the, and they've made a mess of it. Mm. But as it stands, first of all, you hear a lot of people talking about, oh, well, the ball was going in or the ball was going here or there. Doesn't matter. Irrelevant. That's not in the rules. Doesn't matter where the ball's going. So that, that doesn't matter. It's basically how... How is your hand positioned? And it's basically if your hand is by your side, if your hand is kind of in a na- what's deemed a natural position, it shouldn't be a foul, even if the ball hits it. If your hand is out from your body, it's going to be a penalty. And there are some exceptions from that. Um, the, 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 some of the exceptions, if your hand's above your head, basically, and it hits it, full stop, it's a penalty, it doesn't matter. Um, unless it comes off your, unless you play it yourself. So if I try to clear the ball, and it right. immediately goes up and hits my own hand above my head, that's not a, that's not given. But if it comes off any other player, then it is because you're basically the point is your hand shouldn't be above your head. Yeah. Um, and the other exception is with apart from it being above your head, if it travels, if if you're not very far from the ball, or if it takes a deflection off someone to your hand. Then, then it shouldn't be a foul. Now, none of that applied in any of the, the... The part about deflections doesn't apply in any of the incidents we're discussing, but I think the distance is... The, the ball comes from a, a reasonable enough distance for the Hodson one to say, and the Hornstrup one, to be fair, to say distance isn't an issue. So it just becomes 
is that hand in a natural position mm-hmm. or not? Hodgson's definitely is. You can probably argue it is in a natural position. He's a defender. <laughs> it's not like it's a way up there, but the way that natural defi- natural position is defined is is it out from his side? Well, well yeah, it is. So, so that should be a penalty, and and I think it's one if if Colin watched it back, he would say, oh yeah, that should have yeah. been a penalty. So it's not a it's not an issue of the the rules being inconsistent. Yeah. It's just a mistake from the ref. Which when I watched it live, I didn't, I didn't think it was a penalty. I didn't see anything to suggest it was a penalty. So you can understand the Hornstrup one. You have to basically judge is his hand where it should be, and I I can't really tell where his hand was when it hit it or, or if it hit it, but it was definitely at his side. So I had a bit of sympathy. Um, with that one the Hoban one is probably about because I think his, his hand's definitely not in a natural position but I think it's it's a judgement call as to whether it's come from a close enough distance to for him to be able to react but I I really dislike the, the rule in general um, and, and I think as I said the, the problem has been trying to take something that's almost kind of co- a common sense application it's something that's kind of um, an, an, a kind of unwritten understanding of how it works and as soon as you try and codify something like that you can immediately tie yourself in knots it's like trying to define things can be harder than just saying okay this is how it works and there are advantages and disadvantages of either way but one thing I used to talking about like watching the NFL and any incident would happen and they'd have like this weird definition of what a catch is and it's like it's like when you try and define even like a catch, it's like, well, what does it mean to catch a ball? You think it's the easiest thing in the world until you try and define it. Yeah, and yeah. And I've had the same problem, and, it, and it's been caused by people whining incessantly about, as every change has been, people whining incessantly about borderline refereeing decisions that have gone against them or, or in matches. The need on TV to create a talking point for a game's been shit. Oh, that, that penalty wasn't given. Let's scrutinise it. And that automatically leads to, to a mess of a, a rule. Um, and, and the offside is, is a bit the same because they've, they've taken the judgment away from the person who's, who's there to do it and they're trying to, you know, assess every little aspect of it kind of so, so um, to every little tiny detail in a way that I think the, the game wasn't designed to be. Mm. Um, should we talk about Hamilton though before I... Yeah. Um, yeah, go on. They're... they're I still think a much worse team than they have been in previous seasons. Mm-hmm. They are still getting they're getting results. We saw that um, they, they, they did well up at Dundee United and probably should have had something as well um, then as well. But they, they seem to have none of the flair. Now, obviously, Templeton being missing makes a difference to that, but none of the flair that they've always had someone who could actually do something a bit interesting or dif- different it, Perhaps the player that they introduced him um, was Nathan Thomas, wasn't it? He probably was the one that changed that game. But before that, it was just very, very predictable. And if you're, as I said, it, it made it easy for Kelly to play against with ten men because you know what's coming. You don't the the way you win against ten men is you know move them around, catch out the the lack of shape, catch out the gaps in the team, and that never happened because they were just humping humping balls up in in Broadfoot and Hornstrup are both quite tall. Um, Hunter could shift into centre half, so they're both going to win a lot in there anyway. But when they made that change, he um, Pinnock was playing. He'd been obviously started as a left winger, but he was kind of pushed to to left back after the change, after the red card. Now Callum Waters was on the bench, so there could have been the potential when that happened to say, okay, now 
Pinnock's been fine up and down that flank because he's done nothing against them. But now that they've brought on a player who might actually trouble them, let's bring on a proper left back. You saw Pinnock kind of getting caught in the ball um, and lead up to the, the penalty. These are things that you, you can question again Alex Dyer's unwillingness to use the bench, um, which, which is really um, like. Folk are talking about whether you should have five subs. I don't think he knows you have like two. Um, and it's been a big problem all season. But Hamilton used the, the bench to their, their advantage because Thomas came in, coming on, I think, changed that game. But what they do have and, and what makes it, I think, them a hard team for Kelly to play against is they are a very dogged team. They constantly throw their bodies at everything. The number of blocks they had, um, the tackling in the midfield it's like they, they know how to just pre- prevent a team from playing is not the right word but they know how to make sure that you're not comfortable in the middle of the park you never have time on the ball so they are they are good at that aspect of the game they've always been good at that aspect of the game and that hasn't gone away they're just missing the flair and I think that could be their big problem because if they don't have someone to create things even though again they won this game they won't win a lot of games they, they had to rely on you know a couple of rubs to the green. I think it wasn't shown in the highlights, but there was an incident in the was in the first half. Yeah, you know, the second half was well where, where I think we could have had a penalty where Brophy went into the box and he was kind of having his shirt tugged for, for a while, kind of running into the box. But he got away from the guy and tried to get a shot away rather than, you know, maybe going down. So they, they had the stroke of luck, but but unlike in the Dundee United game where they, um, if I remember correctly, the penalty they got was, um, was soft. They, they missed the penalty. Mm-hmm. Here they, they, they put it away. They took advantage of it. And they've at least given themselves some signs of life. They're obviously out of the relegation positions as it stands. It's it's hard to predict. I still think they'll finish bottom. But maybe maybe not as far bottom as we might have thought before. I think that seems about my reading of it as well. Anyway, thank you very much for your time this evening and for extensive thoughts we were like I will bash this in 20 minutes no problem but go into great detail and we get it's right on the skin of things when I hosted this as well when I was trying to do it all and it's just it, it just you, you want to talk about these games and you've watched them yeah. you've watched more football or as much football across two games as you would across like six normally so you end up <laughs> excellent well all right. thank you very much for your time yeah. uh, good to speak to you again Craig and all right, we'll see you again, again soon bye cheers we now cross to the other side of the country in the blink of an eye, and I am now joined by Mr. Craig Fowler. Hello, Craig. Oh, how's it going? Not bad at all. Not bad at all. Um, first game that we're going to look at is uh, Celtic versus St. Johnston, and I think I guess I start by asking a million-dollar question. Is it possible for Celtic being rubbish to be boring? <laughs> uh, yeah, quite possibly. I mean, if you're... Maybe if you're not a Celtic fan, then it's uh, it's maybe hard to get to get boring. It, it's not as I see. I think the difference is whether you can watch it live or not. So I actually picked this game because I thought I'd be able to watch it live, uh, but then I I realised that Celtic don't offer that to uh, away teams really. Um, I think they've done it at some points this season, um, but not in, not in the main. So you have to be a Celtic fan to basically watch the, the game, uh, or know a Celtic fan who's happy to get up their, their login details. And I didn't know one, so I didn't see it watching it live. I think if you watch the Celtic team live and you're not a Celtic fan, then it's maybe not as boring because you're just kind of in awe of how shite they are. And you're, you're, you're kind of waiting on them to screw up. 
So it's like it's you have that kind of tension. Whereas if you're watching it back and you know when the goals come, then yeah, it, it can be a little boring because they're just not playing well at all at the moment. And they are taking far too many touches on the ball. Their play is far too slow. They everybody seems everybody seems low in confidence. There's not a lot of players who seem to be willing to try stuff in the final third. It's mostly about guys just trying to keep possession and that involves a lot of passing between the back three. Uh, pointless passing. <laughs> Sometimes it's interesting because they give it away. They've done that quite a lot against St. Johnson, so that was that was fun. Uh, near Beaton, I think especially, he was quite lax. Uh, Julian tried to try quite a few several kind of cross, cross yard balls. Only a couple of them came off. And yeah, so... To summarise, I think to answer your question, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, we'll start aspects. <laughs> aspects, indeed, indeed. As a, you know, if a if a regime falls in a Celtic park and there is no one there to see it, didn't did it really happen? Um, yes. We'll start with all with the positives. I think how good were St Johnston? Uh, now unbeaten in eleven. Uh, the they see. I mean, in not in fairness, but I think Celtic the way that Celtic set up. Now, if, if you've been paying attention, you know how to play against it, but it just seemed to play into, into St. Johnston's strengths uh, well, and particularly some of the, the matches, uh, the, the weird mismatches that Odson Edward, Edward who, who terrified the best team in Serie A during the week, was made to look pretty simple by Sean Rooney. Um, how did they set up? What did they do? That, that I, th- I mean, for me, watching the game, yes, Celtic had opportunities, but the the biggest surprise maybe was that it took that St. Johnson didn't take some of their earlier chances. Yeah. I mean, St. Johnson lined up in the way that they, they typically do this season in the three, four, three. And I thought it was a system that worked quite well uh, when they've used it before this season against the old firm. Uh, I described the match at Ibrox where they were, they were beaten three uh, nil as a, in terms of their tactics as the surgery be a, a success, but the patient dying because I think that was kind of the right way to, to set up about Rangers. They just were kind of let down by defensive errors and kind of pieces of individual brilliance from uh, Borna Barisic most kind of um, famously, but also uh, Ryan Kent as well. And, then they, they they were quite good at nullifying Celtic again in the in the three four three and the two 0 defeat at McDermott Park where obviously Celtic scored twice late on uh, to to deny St Johnson what would have been a kind of well well worthy point and it was just kind of it was more of the same I was kind of most impressed with how kind of aggressive the, the wing backs were playing in Tanzer and McNamara and in, in, in terms of their kind of not well attacking wise as well because they weren't. And you can see this from kind of the average position. St. Johnson weren't like a team that normally goes to Celtic Park and if they play with a three at the back, it's basically a back five. And the you know the, the wing backs don't play as wing backs, they play as full backs. So they play basically alongside the centre halves because you're too worried about what Celtic are going to do. But with Celtic lining up with a three themselves, it meant that Tanzer and McNamara could just kind of go out and press Lax out and Frimpong any time they got the ball. And it was difficult for Celtic to get attacks started because of that. Any time it went out to them... Typically, it was just going back the way because they were immediately under pressure and they didn't want to, you know, with nobody else to protect them on the wing, they didn't want to try and turn their man, lose the ball, and then, you know, maybe allow St. Johnson and attack down the flanks. And Celtic also seemed, well, I think St. Johnson deserve credit for it as well. I do think Celtic seemed a little reticent to go down the middle and to try and cut them open that way. 
Yeah, I think for the, the lot of it, they did do quite well. John said it keeping things narrow and denying space. And any time Edward got in the ball, he usually had like two players to beat and had him well shackled. But I don't think... I think St. Johnson were helped and Celtic didn't help themselves by playing Ryan Christie as a strike partner who, for the entire game, played as a midfielder. Like, he, he never really looked like a forward. He, he, he was not... And I've seen him play more kind of higher up for Scotland, uh, for Steve Clark's team, than I have seen him in this last Celtic game. He just looked like he was playing as a centre midfielder. Um, and Edward ended up being a bit isolated, especially with like nothing coming from the wings as well. He was basically relying on kind of guys coming from deep <laughs> to help up with and Christy Rogic and McGregor. And that's just a, a very weird thing to say about the champions at home against a, a team that's not Rangers. Yeah, I mean, we've we've spoken at great length previously about uh, how the Celtic lining up with the back three doesn't necessarily suit them. But I think it was one of the games this season when... Like, it, it, you, you know how St. Johnson are going to line up. You know how they're going to play. And it was one of the games when you could see that the only way that we're going to get through anything... I mean, St. Johnson were able to to sit deep with the defence. The midfield, I thought, did really well in, in protecting the defence and they, they played quite deep. But the moment they broke and they have a lot of pace in the team, the moment you get beyond that Celtic midfield at the moment, you, you're going to cause them problems. And, and the... But one of the big disadvantages with the back three is you you can't really you can't as easily play a high line and play offside. Uh, yeah. And ultimately, the way that St. Johnson got their goal was uh, a very clever bit of play that you played played between the uh, played between the fullbacks who um, didn't pick up the the, the runner and uh, Stevie May was able to put the ball across for Chris Kane to score. Um, and I think that's if if there was a goal that showed why not just the, the the players that they've got don't necessarily suit the system, but you're not, you're not, you're almost playing into your opponent's hands a little bit with, with this. I thought, I thought it was that. Um, yeah. Especially since they would have known exactly what County would have lined up with. So the County aren't going to change the, the system. They're pretty much stuck to all season with the exception, I think of the 11 style game. I think that's the only, it's at least the only league match this season. They've started well back four. So to just kind of, kind of match up with them. I just thought it was a bit strange. And also since, yeah, I mean, since Celtic changed to the four, it's not really, they've not really got a lot better. But it's just mm. like, you just have to look at the squad and, and realise that's what, it's, what suits it more. I think he just wanted to drop El Hamid after he was that shite against Milan. That, <laughs> he was like, well, what, what else am I going to do? And even the change, like, he changed it later on to go to a four and basically play four four two. But because Ayer was, a right, was right back, so he was like, basically acting like a centre-back, tucking in, you know, not really going forward. Greg Taylor on the other side was a lot more advanced, but Ryan Christie was supposed to be ahead of him, and Christie was just playing inside. So he changed it to a four, but at the same time didn't, because it was still pretty much operating like a three. <laughs> so it's just pointless. Like, it's yeah. like, they, and that's why I think about changing to a three. Like, I, I was kind of joking, but it might be just because El Hamid was that bad and has been that bad this season that... And you don't really want to play Frimpong as a right back, and they don't have a right midfielder with Forrest out. It's such a mess. Like, <laughs> it's a mess. It really is. It's like you could yeah talk for hours on on the many many problems there are there. Um, the Celtic yeah. the Celtic board not not uh, like if he if Neil Lennon manages another game for Celtic, it's just incredible levels of incompetence from the board. I don't even know what they're doing at this time. It's just it's wild. I, I, I was kind of staggered that he got as far as you could call. You could kind of understand the to have a free hit at Milan uh, and 
you know, fine. But I was kind of staggered that he got to the St. Johnson game. I'm now surprised that 24 hours on, um, and and a little bit frustrated as a big fan of of uh, symmetry that if he'd left yesterday, it would have been 20 years to the day since he joined as a player. So 20 years in one day is no use to me whatsoever. Um, so they did get back into. I mean, just the one thing that I, I thought was worth uh, commenting on a, a wee bit is the continual use of of Scott Brown, who is playing every week. Like last week in the, uh, you know, has been playing in games when that they are meaningless, meaningless games. Um, one thing Lennon was quite good at previously, uh, and Celtic fans have known for a while, is that you that need to manage him. Uh, he he can't possibly play two games a week for the foreseeable. I think he's played eight games in the last month. There are options on the bench, you would have thought, either in Nishama or Turnbull, who a lot of Celtic fans are, are crying out for. That that position is now... I mean, I, and that's not one that I think a new manager can necessarily solve overnight if a new manager is coming, which who knows. I think a, a new manager would be able to solve it by just not picking Scott Brown. Mm. <laughs> like Lennon... That was a much more simple answer. <laughs> L- L- Brown is probably still quite valuable to the Celtic team because it seems to have like no heart without Brown in it. But I wonder if that's just the way that Lennon wants to play. Lennon's not a type of coach who's going to focus on the X and O's. Mm. He, he's, he's, he's somebody that wants to motivate them and Scott Brown's going to be the leading motivator to help him in that team. So another manager coming in who maybe is less rah, rah, rah and more kind of, right, this is how we're going to go out, this is how we're going to play, this is how we're going to break them down, then you don't need Scott Brown. Because, especially if you play three at back, why do you need a defensive midfielder who's limited on the ball and doesn't have the legs to contribute attacking anymore? You don't. It's a waste of time. <laughs> like, you can, see on the, <laughs> you can see on the map, like, like the average positions... It was a bit skewed this week because Celtic did um, swap their centre-halves around at one point, so it literally looked like you could throw an entire blanket over the back three and Brown. But that was because uh, I and Beto Hank switched sides at one point. But it was still like only like a couple of yards between Brown and Julian like as, as an average position. And it's like, why? why? <laughs> What's the need in that? Because you're essentially then playing a back four, but two of your, two of your defenders don't really go forward. So you're, you're, you're playing with like... Four defensive players who don't don't contribute much to the attack, other than maybe Ayer, who sometimes the, the runs that he does. But even then, I mean, it's not like it. He's still a centre half. It's not like he does it. You know, he's a threat to do it every single minute of a game, like a, like an attacking player would be. So yeah, just get get rid of Brown. Get, get him on the bench. Uh, bring in play McGregor as the deepest of the, the three or or in Cham, uh, because I think that's. I mean, Cham's been rubbish this season and it looks like he can't be arsed. But at the same time, I do think he's been not used pretty well. He seems to be used as like the furthest forward when he plays. I think Cham's better further back. And we've seen McGregor do the job before and then get Turnbull in and Christie together. McGregor, Turnbull and Christie, I think, would be a pretty good uh, three-man midfield to have. Although it should be with a, with a, with a four as well. <laughs> so if you, you've almost answered my, my, my next question. The last question on this game is... Uh, Peter Lowell comes chapping at your door and offers you the Celtic job. What can you change that makes an impact? What can anybody change that makes an impact on this team at the moment? Well, that's what I'd do. I'd, I'd play that. Uh, I would the back four. I think you have to. Um, I think while Forrest is out, you have to just kind of hope that El Habid could get himself out of this poor form because you kind of need him at right back because you need Frank Pong to play right midfield. And... Play Elianusi left midfield, play Christie in the centre alongside Turnbull or in Cham or McGregor, um, like two out of the three, play Edward up front of his own. These are the positions that the guys are used to playing. 
Like, no, stop trying to fit as many square pegs in a round hole. Stop relying on Scott Brown so much. And apart from that, it's just about kind of trying to get some confidence back in the team. Like, just kind of instill it to them. Like, you're, whoever you're playing, you're better than. You're better than them. Yeah, yeah. So, you go out there and you, if you're Ryan Christie, you just focus on beating your opponent and helping your, your closest kind of teammates on the pitch to, do, to beat theirs as well. And then the results will come. And you just kind of, they, they almost kind of have to go with the cliche of one game at a time because the more they think about 10 in a row, the more they think about the gap, the more they think about recent form, that's when you get performances like the ones we've seen recently where they just look, again, go back to the word, incompetent. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, who knows who will be in charge if there will be any kind of change uh, for the weekend's matches. But... Um, not another uh, another very poor result for Celtic, another good result for St. Johnson who keep their momentum going. Uh, we just go down the road a little bit to Paisley on Saturday's match where St. Mirren hosted Aberdeen for the second time in a week. Aberdeen took the lead through a Johnny Hayes header. Just can't imagine I've said that very often. Uh, St. Mirren equalised through a Jamie McGrath penalty. Uh, Lewis Ferguson was sent off early in the second half. Uh, kind of similar to the, the cup match last week. I mean, I, I think I actually have watched this game five times in the last two seasons. This kind of scrappy, low quality, lots of pressing. I'm sure there's lots of people that, that real tacticians could find in it, but uh, not, not a particularly enjoyable game. Certainly not with my, uh, with my slightly biased uh, view. Um, St. Mirren were almost certainly the better team throughout. Yes, uh, I think if you want to go into tactics in this game, I think it comes down to one team executing. Both teams had very similar tactics, and I think one team executed us a lot better than the other, and that was St. Martin. And I think part of that was that the Aberdeen backline didn't really get a, a grip on Jonathan Abika. I was actually surprised that Abika was taken off. I think it was maybe a mistake from Goodwin to take him off, because I think he was more effective than Erwin. I know Erwin had that late chance, and it did look dangerous at points, but I thought that kind of Abika's hold-up play was, was making Simran a bit more dangerous than, than what occurred when Erwin came on. Although, to be fair, at the same time, I think some of that good hold-up play was from being able to get guys running in behind, and Aberdeen were noticeably a lot deeper after the, after the red card. So maybe, maybe it would have been a bit more difficult to, to try and break them down, but I certainly would have given Abika at least another 10, 15 minutes or so before making that change. I didn't think they were quite as threatening after they after the did it. But yeah, Obika had had the number of the Aberdeen defenders, whereas Joe Shaughnessy had Sam Cosgrove in his back pocket for most of the game. And I thought that was a big difference. Aberdeen couldn't really make it stick. Couldn't get the, the runners going off Cosgrove as much, being as dangerous. They obviously had their moments in the, the goal being one of them. But overall, I thought that like the play of guys like McGrath, Dermis was quite uh, threatening as well. So it was Con- Connolly had these moments on the other side, maybe not as involved in the other two, but still had a, a decent game. And... Those guys backed up by uh, Doyle Hayes sitting in front of the back four, who I think had a really good game. Yeah. And Erhorn was Erhorn was okay. Uh, he got taken off for Cam McPherson, who I thought looked a wee bit brighter. But Samirin, for a team that I think a, a few weeks ago I was kind of scratching, thinking, what can they actually do to, to get themselves out of this tailspin? I think Goodwin has actually now come up with a fairly solid attacking game plan. This is it. It, it does help that Dermis and Connolly finally kind of look at in some sort of form. And that means that he can. So McGrath has played on like the right and the left this season, and I think it's it's clear to see that he's at his best when he plays through the centre as a number ten, and that allows with the wingers actually you know playing some decent football. It means he can play in his natural position, and with Abika again, somebody else who wasn't in good form earlier in the campaign. Once he 
starts to, to show what he can do. Again, that brings a different dimension. And suddenly, even though they've finished the, the weekend on the bottom of the table, you're kind of looking at the Saman team as again, if they can produce a performance like that most weeks, they should be fine. It's, it's just whether these guys who have been very flaky in terms of their form can actually keep it up. I guess that, that leads nicely on to the next question. I mean, should St Mirren have now had a couple of good games where they've looked like they've got a plan, they look like the players are executing the plan, but because of the weirdness of results going their way, both physical results and and non-physical results, if that makes sense, <laughs> um, virtual mysterious results that are pulled out of the ether, um, it was, last week was actually a very bad week for them. Should, should they be... Should they be positive with the way that they're playing because they look like they've got some cohesion or do they need to be worried that they're playing well in games like this where they're, they're seemingly in control and creating chances but they're not winning? I would be more positive if I was them just because early in the campaign they really didn't create much at all in some games and it really looked like the, the, they were a completely blunted attack and it was never going to... like. That was the kind of problem, and I've kind of alluded to it, saying like a beaker being wild out of form. It was kind of you didn't you were kind of looking around the squad, going, "How are they actually going to fix this?" Because there doesn't seem to be too many parts here that you could rely on, and that's still going to be a bit of a concern, you know, if, if a beaker because form nose dives again. If some of these other guys have their struggles, then then that will be. But as long as these guys can play, I don't think it's a big enough sample size. I don't think we're kind of looking at Neil McCann's Dundee here. With Sophie and Musa up front for the entire season, getting like falling well below their XG, and it's just like you eventually have to come to the conclusion that the players just aren't players are good getting into positions to score; they're just not good at taking them. I'm not sure whether the sample size is quite big enough to to throw that label at St. Mirren yet, but yeah, if, if it goes on for a couple more games, then maybe they should start worrying. But as I said, to play like this, I mean, compare them, compare that performance against Aberdeen to most performances Hamilton Aki's put in this season, and even Ross County, and I think. And St Mirren have always kind of had a tighter defence when everybody's fit and everybody's fit now and they are looking a lot stronger on that end so there is I suppose a few ifs in there but you know they are bottom of the league for a reason yeah. so, <laughs> but if those ifs stay stay fine if that makes any sense <laughs> then St Mirren should be as well at the very least 10th Fair enough, fair enough. Um, the kind of big con- uh, controversial talking point was the Lewis Ferguson red card, a second booking. Uh, first one looked fair enough. Some, um, I don't think that there's not even, there's not even a huge amount of disagreement. It seems to be a, a particularly harsh second yellow. Uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even a foul. A <laughs> big kind of leads into him. Ferguson makes a bit of a meal with a contact log. It looks like it's his elbow in the face to start, but he's not. He's kind of gets, it kind of hits him around about the, the neck or that. But if it's a foul, it's a foul to, it's a foul to <laughs> Like, I know what Abika's trying to do. He's, he's trying to stand his ground and stuff, but he goes a little too far in terms of putting his arm into Ferguson. So for to be given a foul the other way was just, it's mad. It's like, it's one of several mad decisions this weekend, but I'm sure you've talked about them in the, there, there in the other been, games. There have been plenty and there's still a couple more to come. Still a couple yes. more to come. <laughs> uh, so just, just a, a kind of final point on, on Aberdeen, who I think looked like in September, September and October especially that they had a bit of fluency. They, they'd sorted out a formation for the first time in a couple of years. They even looked entertaining. Um, in the last month or so, they've taken a hiding from... Uh, admittedly, the, the midfield has been literally missing uh, but this game the midfield was back and two of their last uh, 
well, the, the, the cup game against St. Mirren last weekend, um, the game against Hamilton and this weekend have all been against games at the bottom of the, teams at the bottom of the league when they've been pretty lucky to take a point. What was noticeable from this that was there a couple of months back? Well, I thought it was very strange for McInnes to, to play with a four. So I know he changed it last week because he wasn't happy with the first half performance against St. Mirren in the cup, and fair enough. But as you say, they were missing probably the most valuable players in, in Ferguson and McCrory. Like, that, that 3-4-3 works because of them. So now that they're back and playing, like, I, I just didn't, I didn't think it made much sense to, to keep it a four. And I don't think it was any surprise that Ryan Hedges had his worst game in a few months. Uh, Kennedy was, I thought Kennedy was pretty good playing as, he's, he's somebody who's maybe not been that great this season because he's been asked to play wing back and he's asked to obviously do a bit more kind of defensive duty than he's, he's used to doing. Um, so he kind of, he played like he was a bit more liberated and obviously that's where the goal came from. And the fact that Hayes was playing as a number 10 and kind of has a natural inclination to go down the left, I think Kennedy benefited from linking up with him quite a lot as well. It's almost ironic that it was Hayes at the back post for the goal because he was on the right and like for pretty much the sure. entire half he was, he was appearing on the left. Uh, but well, maybe the rope adopted uh, that one. <laughs> that was planned. Uh, but yeah, I just that was a formation that worked for Aberdeen. So I just I don't really get why uh, McInnes started away from it. Uh, yeah, you might have some reservations about it last week. But your, your midfield's better again, so you know just stick with stick with what's worked the best for you this season. And they have gone through some rough patches, but again, that is down to the players they've been missing. It's like this is. We've talked about it before. They're, McCrory and Ferguson is what makes this formation work. And it's, it's, it gets the best at some of your attacking players who guys like Hedges who are very good at kind of finding those pockets of space that they, they're allowed the freedom to be as they're kind of as a part of a, a two-man number 10 as opposed to, you know, just in, like a, a winger like, as he was in this game. But I will give him some credit for the change late on in the game to bring on Edmondson where I don't think a lot of managers would have done that and I think he had to I think it, even though it looked quite attacking to bring on an extra forward when you're basically just defending a draw I think he needed to do it because I think it helped the defence because we cut his main up front by his own the ball was not sticking whatsoever put Edmondson on alongside him and yes, the men were still the team putting on most of the pressure, but at least it, it gave Aberdeen a, a few more kind of seconds of, of respite uh, for the last like ten minutes uh, as, they were, as they were just about holding on. And, and thanks to Codsey as well, it, literally right at the end, um, just a hero, a hero to to every man and woman. Yeah, now fifth on the all-time top appearance list um, as well. A couple of weeks ago, you uh, you, you uh, put on Twitter that there's probably not a bigger drop-off in quality between t- uh, a midfield between um, uh, uh, between Ferguson McCrory and, and Ojo and Campbell. When you read when I, when I read that, I was like, eh, maybe maybe as the weeks have gone by, I like absolutely yeah. I, 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 <laughs> you know, sometimes you read something and you're like that's made me think. I wonder. No, there must be other... No, no, I'm, I'm on board. I'm on board with it now. I'm fed up with it. <laughs> right. Anyway, thank you very much for your time and we'll speak to you again soon. Thank you very much. We now cross to just across the road from Mr. Craig Fowler and I welcome Mr. Duncan Mackay. Good to have you. Good to speak to you. That's been the words I'm looking for. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. How, How you doing? Yeah. I'm... I'm- all oh, right, we're we're just talking. <laughs> we're we're starting. <laughs> so, we're starting. Well, you you first. How are you doing? 
I'm doing smashing for a, for a Monday morning. What can't can't complain too much. Excellent. Monday morning is is Monday tea time. Uh, like, sorry. By, by, by the time people listen to this, it will be at least Monday evening, if not Tuesday. So it's fine. Wherever you are, wherever you are in the world, whatever time of day it is, we've started well, and uh, we mean to, we'll, we'll we'll continue as we um, mean to go on. Uh, by going straight into Livingston's match against Dundee United. Um, I think a, a 2-0 win for Livy, ultimately, uh, but a, a match that must have given anyone who was gambling on it the absolute fear. Uh, Dundee United coaching staff forced to isolate and nine players ruled out, apparently, before the, the, the game because of the COVID situation. Ultimately, only three changes to the United lineup, and I think there were a bunch of people that uh, I certainly follow who had um, invest, invested in this game in a way that they not the otherwise. <laughs> yeah. um, and when the Dundee United lineup came out, we're in a cold sweat. Uh, but anyway, a, a rejuvenated Livingston won 2 0 thanks to goals from Scott Pittman and uh, probably the first time I've said this an acrobatic effort from Marvin Bartley. Um, I guess. First of all, what did you make of Martindale's Livy that width and pace them? Yeah, they did. I mean, it wasn't... Uh, it's a, I think it's really difficult to talk about how uh, Livy did when they're playing against Dundee United because Dundee United, you just don't know. Well, you, some, you're either going to get a Dundee United that, that comes to play or a Dundee United that um, revels in the fact they have a point at, at, at kick-off and want to retain it as much as possible. Um, and they, and Livingston certainly met, met the, 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 the latter version of Dundee United um, at the weekend. The more I keep thinking about it is that, that it's probably a good thing for Livingston that at the moment they, they know what's going on. Like I think that it's clear from anyone that's watched Livingston in the last few years that Martindale has been a very influential person at the club there's no question about that and and that to the extent that, that you see him a lot doing a lot more of the barking and ordering um at the side at the side of the pitch and stuff and that's totally fine there are some there are some uh managerial relationships where it is the assistant that does the does the bulk of that stuff um but obviously it's Scottish football rumor and innuendo and stuff like that and so and everything goes along with it so i i think that we're probably seeing the best we're getting out of livingston at the moment because the players Aren't having to worry about anything, if that makes sense. Like you know that that the, the, they know that who the person in charge is. They know it's not an interrupted. They, they, it's going to be as simple as possible because Martindale wants the job, um, and and that's kind of worked out all well, all, all, all well so far. I mean, um, it looks good on paper. But I mean, by all accounts, uh, it was um, um, twelve minutes of madness the previous weekend that led to that really impressive uh, looking victory for over United, and then they played again a, a team like Dundee United who who don't don't really want to come and play. Um, so is it maybe a bit of a false promise? But then you, if you're Martindale, you can only beat what's in front of you, and then you decide if David Martindale wants the job or not. But uh, it, I think he showed at the weekend. Uh, I, I, and a, willing to, a willingness to adapt and things like that. You know, he tinkered slightly with uh, with player with the, the lineup, and then even at half time, saw it wasn't quite working. Saw what Dundee United were about, and and tried to stretch the play a bit more, uh, play play more down the wings, uh, trying to take take advantage. And and you can kind of see that that playing in the wings was actually the reason behind their their first goal uh, with, with Scott Pittman, um, and. You know, the last time I was on, I criticised a Dundee United win where uh, 
they, <laughs> they had goal scorers basically running from the, the middle of the park to score. Uh, that happened again. The, 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 now, now it was uh, on the other foot this time around where Scott Pittman was allowed to run with the ball, not particularly at pace, uh, not, you know, not, not, not high flying um, and just ran with it. And, and yeah, there was a little deflection, but uh, no wonder Mark Reynolds was going absolutely. Was it Mark Reynolds? I think yeah, was going, yeah. was, was going head and hands. Absolutely probably. furious. Yeah, when that goal went in, because uh, yeah, if you you would be very very disappointed uh, to concede that normally, because you know, frankly, you know, Segrist is. I think on a normal day could have probably done better, but I think there was a slight deflection, and obviously he's been obscured by the fact that Dun United are getting back in numbers. But not, but not. Uh, Liam Smith not, just not keeps backing off and backing yeah. off and backing off and backing off, and not putting a challenge in. Mm. Yeah, I mean, just on on one of your points there, I would be fascinated to know. At the start of the season, certainly, like Martindale obviously seems to have been the, the at least very heavily involved in transfers and very involved in the tactical strategic side of of. Livingston, however they've set up. Um, at the start of the season, they were such a mess and they were doing such, you know, very uh, erratic things with square pegs and round holes all over the place. I would, I, and now what they seem to be getting an awful lot of success out of is playing, yes, there's tinkering, but it's a left-back playing at left-back, it's a right-back playing at right-back, it's, it's holding players that, that can hold the ball, it's runners that... Uh, and in particular, I think one of the big revelations in the last fortnight, if you can say anyone over the course of two games as a revelation, has been Poplatnik, who who seems to be more of a, a well-suited all-rounder than uh, like J. Emmanuel Thomas, who, who might have been the, the sort of superstar signing. Yeah, superstars probably stretching it a it little a bit. But, yeah, but, okay. but in terms of SPFL Premiership, you know, a player we've heard of before yeah. uh, signing for <laughs> Livingston um, is is usually the way to go, or you know, hasn't come from junior football. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would be really interested to know what that tinkering at the start of the season was about whether that was Gary Holt trying to assert some more control over the first team I'm, I'm not sure or or was it um, Martindale having an influence and saying oh, you know, this is the sort of player this is the players we have signed and I would like to see them get a run out um, I don't think <laughs> judging by how, how amicable, amicable everyone has been in the paper so far I, I am not entirely convinced that we were going to get the, the, the inside scoop on, on that um, and so I think yeah it's kind of left to, left to speculate um, but, and I, but again there's also an element of that this season especially but you know at this level teams are going to be streaky like that that is that is what's going to happen um, but uh, yeah, as if you're you're Livingston, you're probably happy. You're, you're definitely happier being streaky at this point than than um, you know towards the end of the season or what have you. Just uh, on one of your other points to to switch the focus to Dundee United, they probably started the game a little bit better, and they and they arguably tried to force the game, and arguably tried to force the game in the second half. They they switched things around from a back three to a back four, but. 
is there uh, are, are teams starting to realise the limitations when your only goal? I mean, at the moment, the only goal threat is Nicky Clark. He's the only player that scored since September. I think they've only scored five in the last seven games. And like you say, they do seem to be setting up to take a point. And if they can get more than that, then then great. Um, is there was there anything from this that they can take any positives from? Uh, I mean, you you might take a positive from the fact that you are trying things and you know they don't work. Uh, if that if that is a positive, you know, in terms of um, you know, uh, the the decision, I would like to know who that who that was. Uh, I, whether it was Courts or or Mellon beforehand that, that thought that that putting uh, Mark McNulty on the right wing in a four five one was a flash of inspiration um because i think that was proven not to be the case i mean now i we've talked about it before mcnulty is a complete flat flat track bully and having him anywhere beyond the width of the six yard box is a complete waste of everyone's time um it would yeah I, I would be concerned if i was Dundee united and again is we're not saying anything we haven't said already this season and that, that you know that is a bit of a shame but it's this uh, there's just no spark in that midfield it's it's a very 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 functional tidy midfield but it just doesn't have any um what like what was the thing that's in science you know, like a, a, an enzyme is that an enzyme is the thing that 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 catalyzes energy or whatever, or I'm, I'm, someone's going to tell me well, I'm absolutely right. Like, well, but, well, <laughs> but you know, where, where something, yeah. where, where, when things come together, they, they catalyze into energy or then United are, uh, this is really bad standard grade biology being forgotten. Um, but they've got none of these players, they all play okay. And they, but they, they don't, they don't, catalyze each other if that makes mm. sense they don't they're, they're missing a spark added physics added, yes uh, yeah okay. they're, 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 there's something yeah there's there they are no i always feel a little bit like that especially their midfield are never more than the sum of their parts like they're, they're perfectly good players they're perfectly good at the job that they do um but there's no there's, there's a, there's a definite glass ceiling that, yeah there's a, there's a huge glass ceiling on it and i think that I mean, you could say this about a lot of teams, but Dundee United especially, I think, are they're one one player away from being a top six team in this in this league this season. I would say, and but that player has to be you know, the creative player that that can bring in the talent. I can't believe it, the goal scoring talent of Nicky Clark and Lauren Shanklin and Mark McNulty. But you know, it's it, it's weighted, it's kind of this thing you can see. Uh, you can see the talent that's in that final third, but they've they've just not got there yet. And I think that those play, those creative players are pretty difficult to find. But you know, it's even the case of a winger could do that job. It doesn't necessarily have to be someone that you play through the middle. Um, you could just have someone that's quite creative on the wing, or just add some. But they they, they are they're, they're, I think that is the problem. The, the midfield is just so one di- one dimensional, and that that is fine. And it will it will get them probably enough points to stay up but if you're wanting anything else this season then yeah I don't think Dundee United are it Seems a very fair assessment so we will go to our final game of the weekend which was uh, Hibs against Motherwell in the end 
a very comfortable win for Hibs, who moved into third place and looked a bit more like themselves. Um, second half goals for Martin Boyle, Christian Deutsch and Stephen McGinn were enough to give them the win. If we can follow this, Motherwell haven't won in four, but got two wins last week. And this defeat leaves them eight points behind Hibs, having played two games less and also the same number of games, if that makes sense. Um, Just about. There was, a, there was a real possibility that if Motherwell had won this weekend, they would be right on the heels of Hibs. When that, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah that. It, it, it's as it uh, touched on this with, with uh, Craig Anderson earlier it has changed the complexion of the league in a number of ways. And in many ways, Motherwell are not the most affected (laughs) despite having six extra points. It's not, it it may or may not change their season completely, but it will certainly have an effect elsewhere in the league. Um, So 3-0 Tibbs, as comfortable as the scoreline sounds? Um, on the basis of the second half, Hibs were, Hibs were the better team. The first half was a continuation of the abomination that was the first time that these two clubs met in that um, nil-nil draw at the, at the start of the season at Easter Road. Um, yes, I think the first half, what could, you can easily, it could easily be described and wouldn't be failing the Trade Description Act to say it was a box-to-box encounter, but that, that was lit- that it was literally between the two boxes. Like once, <laughs> once it got to the penalty box on either, at either end, both clubs uh, kind of fell apart. Um, there was, the, it was, that was just completely lacking. And um, yeah, you could, it was, I, I had a late lunch, so I didn't get back in time to watch the game. And so uh, I was out for it. So like, yeah, I, I was following it on Twitter and you know, the, the, a lot of Hibs fans were pretty unhappy about how the first half had gone. It was quite lethargic. It was a bit um, low key from Hibs. But again, that, I think that was ultimately down to how well Motherwell played a little bit. Hibs in the second half recognised that actually Motherwell's best player is Liam Polworth. If you sit on Liam Polworth, which you can do if you're you're starting someone like uh, uh, Halberg, uh, um, then you've got you've got a chance. Um, and that that kind of allowed Hibs to play a bit more, which uh, they definitely just they definitely have the the talent to do so. You, you know, even the return of someone like Lewis Stevenson, yep, not spectacular, but so solid that allows you. Uh, well, put it this way, you saw the difference between. Uh, between the two left backs, in the sense that Lewis Stevenson managed to convince Andrew Dallas that he'd been fouled, didn't happen. Um, <laughs> where, <laughs> whereas uh, on the, on the other side, uh, it's the, the the complete lack of marking that allows Martin Boyle to to score, uh, to open the scoring, and and basically uh, from that point on, didn't quite kill off the game because uh, Beavis came close with a with a, with a header that rocked the the. the the post or bar, but um, it didn't. Once once Hibs went one up, it didn't feel like Motherwell had enough. I, I know that Graham has lots of concerns about Motherwell this season, um, and I can kind of see where he's coming from. Um, you know, by, by the fact that they, they uh, yeah, they don't they don't seem to have a game plan as to how to get back into to the game. So I think maybe that maybe I'm being completely wrong here. But uh, from Saturday's showing, I, I would be a, a slightly bit concerned about. Well, again, I think they'll be, I think, and they should be good enough. But again, this season has like, despite having obviously they've picked up six points in the last two <laughs> the last week. Um, you know, this the, this season has a 
could go either way, I think, for them. You know, they, they, they should have enough, I think, when playing tall cylinders, but the, the signing policy just seems a bit all over the place as well. It seems to, um, again, just that's a nice fit rather than is this what we need? And, and it, it did seem like an awful lot rested on the... I mean, there, there have been a number of decisions that we've talked about uh, on this week's pod about there being some particularly baffling decisions from referees, uh, and it did seem. It's Andrew not- Dallas, though. Like the fact that you yeah. like in my in my kind of thing this season, um, this season every season, if you see that Andrew Dallas is your referee, you have to be prepared for that. Like you have to be prepared <laughs> for him to to make an inexplicable decision because he was a bad ref at League Two, he was a bad ref at League One, he was a bad ref at the Championship, and he's a bad ref at the Premiership. There's like, and no one will convince me otherwise. So you kind of that you should slightly factor that into your game plan in terms of like, you know, that there's, a, there's a good chance that we could go a man down for reasons we'll never know or we'll get a goal let off. And, and I think that it was a bit churlish, I think, of Steam Robinson to blame the, the Motherwell's for entire... An apology. Perf- yeah, and, and, blame, an apology. and blame their entire inefficiencies on Sunday, on, uh, on Saturday, sorry, on that, on that one decision. Um, because frankly, you know, again... That was a diff- that was a difference. Once we got to the penalty box, Hibs looked like they were capable of doing something, and you know, that is the benefit of of having been able to take someone like Christian Doidge off the bench. Whereas Motherwell was kind of just if we just keep plugging away, something might happen. And, the, 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 and Motherwell did have other chances, like you say, Davis uh, McGavey hit, hit, hit the post. Tony Watt had chances as well. Um, so while they can rightfully feel aggrieved at one of the more baffling decisions of the of the season, the I think the concern for them will be when Hibbs scored. They the only option seemed to be to commit more men forward, and if you know an awful lot about who you're playing, you start committing more men forward, and you start playing a slightly higher line and and pushing your midfield up, then Hibbs are going to get. In behind and especially at you uh, uh, along the wings, which ultimately seemed to be what happened. I mean, Jack Jack Ross said there were actually quite angry words exchanged at halftime, um, and Hibs have been you know all right in recent weeks, but certainly have fallen off the way that they, they started the season. Um, do you think this is like a this could be a, a, a those angry exchanges are are kind of a catalyst to kick on, or um, did they just catch Motherwell cold once they'd gone down? I think it's kind of more <laughs> caught Motherwell cold. I mean, I, like again, I think people were overstating uh, how good we were at the start of the season, um, and I think that that we're we're neither as bad as uh, some section of our support think we are, but we're not as good as how another section would like to think we are. Um, and I think you can see that by just the. Uh, I mean, and the same that every, and I've said this a number of times. The same that every, the same that every club is going through the season is that if you take what it does not take that many injuries or co- post, uh, positive COVID tests to put a team uh, going looking like looking like they're very strong to actually pretty weak. Um, and uh, and there's no prime example of that than the fact that Steve McGinn scored the final goal on, <laughs> uh, on Friday, which is essentially you let our coach score, um, <laughs> you know, uh, which you know the McGinn's uh, goal scoring exploits aside, uh, which has been a high point of the season. Um, I think that Hibs are just going to be on a not they're not going to be streaky, but they were they 
they they do have the problem where uh, you know, big games like Hearts, and then f- that was followed by the Aberdeen game, and it suddenly it looks like a crisis, and everyone's likely to go into tailspin because um, because we've nothing better to do, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> um, I, and so yeah, there's there's an element of that, but uh, on the whole, we've got a, we've got a pretty good strong squad. Um, we should. I would like to see Hibs make third place competitive. I'm not quite sure on our. You know, again, that's the thing. Like, had I think, yeah, I think if if Aberdeen get the most out of Ross McGrory this season, then they're going to finish third. Like in, a, in the same way that if Hibs has been able to sign him, we're going to finish third. Um, I was going to I was going to say there's there's every chance you could uh, everyone could make third very competitive because Celtic seem to be intent on holding on to Neil Lennon. So it's a, <laughs> uh, well, I mean that's I mean I mean if if there is a race for the uh, second <laughs> champions, I mean imagine that really, Celtic going for the ten and ending up third would or fourth it's, would be. Uh, a too delicious prospect for me to even think about too much. They don't don't you don't want to make someone unemployed during a pandemic. It's what Brother Walford would want. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, very good to speak to you. Um, thank you all for listening. Thanks for uh, tuning in for this Monday edition of the Terrace Football Podcast. Um, we are available on all your usual social channels. Please do get in touch. And thanks for listening to us. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.